Ahoy to episode number 30 of Messing About in Ships for September 19th, 2008, which also is the official International Speak Like a Pirate Day. Welcome aboard. <laughs> Welcome to episode 30 of Messing About in Ships. I'm Peter Mello from Sea Fever Consulting, and my podcasting partner is Captain John Conrad from gcaptain.com. Hey, John. How's it going? It's going great. How are you doing, Peter? Doing really well. Doing really well. Although today is a pretty turbulent day there in the stock market, huh? It's a pretty wild weekend, and it's going to be interesting to see how all this stuff plays out in the future. Yeah, it sure is. Some real policy changes from uh, bailing out uh, the banks and Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, and then I guess Goldman Sachs got a bit of a bailout, and now they're 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 ending those, huh? Oh, not Goldman Sachs. I think Goldman Sachs uh, is okay, out. but Lehman is the one that uh, filed for bankruptcy um, over the weekend um, or today, and. Uh, Merrill Lynch was just bought by Bank of America, or is being bought by Bank of America. So this, this, and and they say, you know, there's lots more in the in the pipeline. I know, AIG was looking for a huge amount of uh, cash to help it through a uh, uh, potential credit downgrade, which would uh, threaten threaten that company too. So, it's uh, you know, it's uh, trying times on Wall Street, and I think trying times across the country. On top of it, it's a perfect storm with. Uh, with the you know Ike coming through Galveston and Houston and doing quite a bit of damage down there, um, it just seems like it's uh, been a tough week. But um, anyway, we're about maritime stuff, not about uh, the economy, right? So. Yeah, but they 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 got pretty uh, hit pretty hard. There was um, uh, none of the rigs in the Gulf of Mexico, or the ships really got uh, terribly damaged. There were a couple of rigs that sustained a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of uh, equipment damage, and then there was that ship that uh, was uh, not under command that was floating out there during the storm. Yeah, that was uh, that was uh, pretty scary stuff, huh? It's tough to yeah. tough to imagine what that experience would would have been like. Um, yeah, so what's new at G-Captain? Oh, a uh, whole bunch of new things. We really we pushed together a, a new uh, web design. I don't know. How do you like it? I like it. It's good. Yeah, I think it's it's great. So uh, how do, what kind of response have you been getting? I actually left a comment for you over there saying I, I enjoyed it. And, uh, what kind of response are you getting from, from readers? Yeah, really, really positive. Everyone really likes it. We kind of moved around a few things, made the uh, sidebar a little wider, and then put in some new features there, and just made it uh, a lot cleaner. Um, so that's been going really well. And then our forum has just been getting. Uh, uh, most days we get a half a dozen new uh, subscribers to the forum, so a lot of good conversations there. And then uh, did a little redesign to our, our own website here, messing about in ships. So. Yeah, thank you for doing that. That's cool. Um, great. You want to jump into our? You have any other news or anything else you want to discuss before we jump into our sea stories? No. Yeah. Let's uh, let's go ahead and read okay. about I'll, some news. I'll start it off with uh, uh, something I I posted about last week, and uh, I wrote a post called "Google Catches Sea Fever 2. Um, 
and uh, it was a little kind of a, a little pun and a joke because uh, about a month ago I posted about Microsoft's new advertising campaign. Uh, they were using a tall ship in it, and I posted about that as being they, they catch some sea fever. And now Google, according to the New York Times and, and a bunch of other Internet sources, um, talked about uh, uh, Google filing a patent for um, water-based data centers that they're uh, looking to uh, to uh, employ. And uh, here's what the New York Times said. The search and advertising company has filed a patent that describes a water-based data center. The idea is that Google would create mobile data center platforms out at sea by stacking containers filled with servers, storage systems, and networking gear on barges or other platforms. This would let Google push computing centers closer to the people in some regions where it's not feasible, cost-effective, or as efficient to build a data center on land. In short, Google brings the data center closer to you, and then this data arrives at a quicker clip. Perhaps even more intriguing to some, Google has theorized about powering these ocean data centers with energy gained from just water splashing against the side of the barges. Well, uh, there were some drawings in the pattern, and it goes on to um, uh, a little bit later, actually, uh, through building build blog, I got this. In general, computing centers are located on a ship or ships which are then anchored in a water body from which energy from natural motion of the water may be captured and turned into electricity and are pumping power for cooling pumps to carry the heat away from the computers in the data center. And there's a link. Uh, I've got a link in this post to uh, the Pelamus Wave Power Company. It's limited, um, and uh, they use wave energy. There's a couple interesting uh, videos about how their generators and converters work. So including one of a sea trial. So um you familiar with any of this stuff? You're you're a techie guy. Yeah, oddly familiar. The um uh energy generation itself is uh interesting. I mean, it, it's definitely feasible to do both uh, wave and current uh generation of energy. The, the problem with this design is really uh where do you store the energy? The the newest ships, all the really large cruise ships and the exploratory drill ships and all, all um, work off um, uh, diesel electric generators, which uh, produce a large amount of um, of uh, power that's then sent down in uh, large uh, electrical cables to a the propeller, which is uh, remote, and the actual propulsion unit is inside of the propeller. Um, the cruise ships have even put some of the generators up in the stacks because stacks aren't really needed anymore. Uh, they're a throwback from the old days of steamships and, and coal power. Uh, so they're not needed, but there's still people expect to stack on a ship, so they put them up there just as decoration. But uh, it's unused space, so a few companies have started putting the generators up in the stacks and running power cables down. Uh, the real problem with uh, the the wave generation and um, current generation is how do you store that power? Uh, we know that electricity works extraordinarily well for propelling a ship or keeping it on station or uh, maintaining a server, but it's really the battery technology that uh, hasn't been perfected. And I think that's one of the stumbling blocks. Ah, interesting. Well, do you see this? Do you see this actually, uh, you know, come into fruition anytime, anytime in the near future with Google? Founders of Google were uh, um, did a uh, a speech at the TED conference, and TED is uh, innovative new ideas where uh, people come in and talk about new ideas. Great video archive online you can check out. But the last time that the Google founders were there, they brought up a map of the world. 
and um, they showed every single Google request was mapped out on this world map, and it lit up in lights, something like you'd see uh, from the spaceship at night when uh, you know all the lights of the country are on. Uh, uh, but it clearly showed that they're having trouble penetrating uh, into countries who may have large populations but do not have the uh, IT infrastructure or any type of infrastructure to uh, to uh, um, do search results or even access the Internet. So they, I know they're working really hard towards getting Internet access into the third world. And I think this uh, may be part of it. Yeah, I, I actually that that was a cool TED presentation, and uh, I do remember it now that you brought that up. So interesting. Um, it's also interesting, kind of a little aside. Uh, I know Microsoft is building a new data center, right? And and outside of Illinois, I think, and they're actually also have a, a maritime connection in that um, these companies are now using shipping containers and loading up uh, the. Uh, the hardware in these shipping containers so that they can just kind of plug and play them, right? Is that is that correct? Yeah, Google is the first to do that, and, and what they've done is they've they work really hard towards getting the, the time it takes to get a search result uh, in front of you down, and they've picked all the low-hanging fruit. But when you enter a search term in Google, they want those results to show up as fast as humanly possible. Um, and even a microsecond uh, expanded out to the billions of Google users uh, really in creates inefficiency in the system. Say so, uh, they, they, they already have, I believe, these shipping containers that they send to areas like the Beijing Olympics. They can put a Google data center there. So that instead, when you type a search entry into Google uh, in Beijing, instead of it having to go to Google's data center where somewhere in China or even the states, it just has to go to that uh, container that's you know uh, pretty local. And then at the end of the Olympics, they could pick up this container, put it on a ship, and move it to the the next event. Um, so they're working hard on that. They also have a, a few other maritime projects. They're uh, building a uh, subsea cable from Asia to the U.S., and then Google's have been a uh, big, big big proponent in that. So they, uh, they actually posted a few jobs for uh, uh, maritime logistics people um, a few months ago, and uh, they, they're, they're stepping their foot into uh, some, of, uh, some of what we do, and it's, it's definitely interesting. Very cool. Very cool. Well, that's my first East story. Um, I have a couple more, but why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on, what you're thinking about for your East story? Yeah, I have one. Uh, I was uh, thumbing through the online index of uh, Maritime Reporter, and um, their website is marinelink.com. Actually, if you head over there and hit subscription, you can sign up for a uh, free subscription to their paper magazine, which will be delivered to your house for free. It's a pretty good deal. But uh, there, sometimes their articles come ahead of the print, and this week uh, there was an article about uh, um, Navy and uh, Coast Guard uh, bloggers, and uh, Sea Fever was actually mentioned, wasn't it? Yeah, that was uh, that was nice to see. I mean, I'm not either a Navy or <laughs> Coast Guard blogger, but that was uh, very cool to be included in that list, and thanks for pointing it out to me. That was uh, probably wouldn't otherwise found that. Yeah, and they were really uh, bringing in the uh, how the Navy's really uh, embracing blogging and the 
tools of Web 2.0 podcasting to really get information out and and to to uh, uh, really build efficiency into the information structure. Um, and then they mentioned uh, your, your other post about um, uh, Admiral Thad Allen, Thad Allen. They coming on the Coast Guard has a Facebook page, and uh, it's really interesting that uh, the higher ups in the Navy Coast Guard are really embracing a lot of these uh, new tools. Um, but then, contrary to that, um, there are a lot of questions about you know what uh, the lower ranks of the these organizations, what ability they have to blog. Um, at the forefront of this is our friends at the Unofficial Coast Guard blog. Um, uh, most of them are, are actively involved in the Coast Guard, and they blog about it. And uh, there's questions about that, and also the security concerns. If a and if a uh, a seaman in the Navy writes a blog post uh, uh, that could uh, give security hints or sensitive information away, even without him realizing it. It's hard to control all that information if everyone's allowed to blog. So it seems there, there's a dichotomy here between the upper echelons really embracing this technology and also having difficulties figuring out what its policy should be at the uh, lower levels. And um, uh, one of the unofficial Coast Guard bloggers was um, uh, fired. He was actually a contractor, um, so he was a civilian but working for the Coast Guard. And he was let go, um, and, and there's some question as to whether it was because he was uh, blogging on that site. And then just last week, a uh, merchant uh, mariner just working for a, a civilian shipping company, um, was the company found out about his blog. Um, which is Kiwi at Sea, and they asked him uh, to make a choice between blogging and uh, continuing to work aboard the ship, and uh, he chose to pack his bags. Yeah, I saw that. That was uh, interesting. Um, yeah, what, what, what do you? I mean, you're you were you you are an active uh, professional mariner blogger. What's been the response to your uh, activities? Well, my my blogging's uh, kind of different. Uh, well, the unofficial Coast Guard blog is very similar to GCAM, so I can't speak for that. The the Kiwi at Sea blog is more of a personal blog, telling of his uh, stories at sea. So he's actively blogging about what he's doing on the ship. I I, I was pretty careful to stay away from that. Um, I also tend to uh, really gave away if a story related to my company or my ship. Uh, I found a you know someone else to write the story and the mm -hmm. blogging network. That's one of the other bloggers, uh, so I didn't get involved. And I gave full disclosure up front. Um, uh, both my direct supervisors were uh, um, informed about the site and they they read it every day and uh, were fans of it. So um, uh, every, everyone everyone was involved. Even the uh, information officer of the company. Uh, had a few discussions about with him when uh, uh, we were doing a little um, uh, media work with Dig for a little while, and uh, they wanted to come out on the ship. And uh, I was talking closely with the uh, um, you know executive level media um, department of my company. But uh, uh, that and I guess those are my tips for other bloggers is you know but don't wait till you get that on the ship to find out what their policy are and uh, re respect their opinion and and um, and there are a lot of ships out there, a lot of shipping companies, and if they don't want to participate, uh, 
Um, you know, I, th I think Doug did a good thing. He, he decided to go and find a company that, that would uh, support him. And um, I don't think he's going to have any difficulty finding a job. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I, I, my money would be on the fact that the people at the Kiwi at Seas uh, company probably didn't even know what a blog was before and probably still don't really have a good handle of what a blog is or what it does um, uh, before they they uh, they parted ways there. But um, anyway, all the best luck to him. He writes a good blog. It's definitely in my reader, and I enjoy it. My uh, second – I just got two two relatively short items for Sea Stories in the Sea Story section. First one is a, a post I did called Significant Loss for Sail Training, the Sinking of the Irish Asgard II. And that's an Irish tall ship, an Irish sail training vessel, the Asgard II. She was on a transit from Ireland, I think, maybe to Spain. But uh, anyway, she sank last week in the Bay of Biscay. And she is a very, very popular boat, not only in Ireland, where she is a national sail training boat, and, and so many, so many um, young Irish people got the opportunity to, uh, the experience to sail aboard her over the years, but internationally, she's very well received. She was part of Tall Ships 2000, came here in the year 2000, and wherever she went, she really reached out to the and was embraced by the Irish community in each of the cities that she went to. So it's a huge, it's a huge loss, um, uh, and I've gotten a bit of traffic from it because you know there's a lot of people on the internet searching for information, some comments from some. So uh, it's still early, not sure exactly what happened. It was in the middle of the night. Water came on pretty quickly, and uh, all hands were were able to get into lifeboats, and they were rescued by the by the French Navy. Um, there's also been talk about uh, another Irish tall ship called the Jeannie Johnston that they built a number of years ago, and kind of a little controversy about the tall ship in that they spent a ton of money building this tall ship and then they really didn't put it too much into service. The government put hundreds, not hundreds, sorry, tens of millions of pounds into into the construction and development of the program, uh, the vessel, and then um, they sold it for a fraction of that to, uh, I think, some kind of development corporation. Um, so now the discussion is, well, should the Jeannie Johnson be the one that's used for sail training in Ireland? Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see how that develops. But um, anyway, it's sad to see Asgard 2 um, be lost at sea. The other short... Um, it's, it's really bad. There, there were no casualties, right? Yeah, absolutely. There were no casualties. And it's a little unclear to me, you know, whether it was a weather-related thing or an equipment malfunction or, you know, what really happened. It didn't... from. The limited amount that I've read, which seems to be kind of the same article repurposed around the internet, um, I, it's tough to to figure out if it was you know due to severe weather. Of course, it can be you know wicked weather in that area. The Pride of Baltimore too dismasted in that area uh, two years ago, so um, it can be it can be pretty uh, pretty 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 difficult. Um, well, I, I think it really speaks to, you know, the only way to prepare for emergency is uh, a good training program, and, you know, uh, stuff happens at sea. Uh, weather can change, and even the most prepared mariner can get caught off guard or something can happen. Uh, but if you're well-trained and you're really uh, – it's really taken up by all levels, from the crew up to the executives, um, you know, bad things can happen. People can uh, can can go through them. I think that's a important story. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, the other the other quick one I wanted to just mention was we've been covering two different uh, uh, adventurers, let's call them. And the first one's Roz Savage. And I know John, you've had some direct interface with Roz, right? She's a 
rower who left San Francisco to uh, cross the Pacific, and uh, after 99 days at sea, she's uh, recently arrived in Hawaii. Have you had any contact recently with her at all? Yeah, I have her personal sat phone number here somewhere on my desk. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, she she asked us for her, uh, some advice, and we uh, tried to help. But, uh, you know, it's difficult. Um, it's so against every, you know, it's fundamentally a, a pretty crazy thing going out to sea alone, and it's not something, uh, um, you know, that, that anyone professionally can really um, put their full, it was tough for me to put my full, uh, enthusiasm into it let's just say uh because she, she's doing a dangerous thing and i think uh i think the world needs people who are willing to take those risks and uh a lot of people uh are encouraged by the story but uh it's dangerous out there it sure is yeah i mean you know just some of the trials and tribulations she it's interesting because we can follow her adventures on her blog and the trials and tribulations that she went through you know, I mean, she she had trouble getting off the California coast for a while, and then as soon as she did, her watermaker was malfunctioning. So, you know, and we can read this every day. Uh, she gets a ton of comments on her blog, and people are generally, I think, for the most part, the ones you can read at least, are extremely positive and supportive and, and inspired by her. Um, so not something uh, that uh, appeals to me at all, but uh, it's good to see these adventurers. I, I don't know if it's good, actually. It's, it's interesting to see these people who are adventurers um, pushing the limits of kind of human endurance. The problem, of course, obviously is, is not, you know, she undertakes a risk to herself, but if something happens, she has to be rescued. It's probably going to be in unfavorable conditions, and therefore she puts her um, responders to... Uh, you know, a, a risk that maybe was unnecessary. But um, she made it to Hawaii. That's good. And talking about kind of the crazy solo adventures, uh, Reed Stowe, we've talked about him before. He's on uh, this 1,000 Days at Sea, which he calls Mars Ocean Odyssey. Um, I guess it would take about 1,000 days to get to Mars or something anyway. So he's he embarked uh, 500 days ago, a little over 500 days ago now, from New York City, and uh, he was not going to come back to land for a thousand days. And he left. He had an, uh, a companion, so Sonia Ahmed, who left with him. And uh, she could. She stood about two hundred days, and then she had to get off somewhere off of Australia. But he's down somewhere in the Pacific, I think, Southern Pacific, kind of sailing around in circles. And he made five hundred days. So. Um, you know, all the power to him. He's blogging every day as well, so you can check him out. We'll have links in the in the show notes to uh, both Ross Savage and Thousand Days at Sea. Uh, five five hundred days is uh, more than I ever lasted at sea. <laughs> <laughs> five hundred consecutive days is a long time. I mean, al- alone no less. Um, I've met. I, we've talked about him before, and I've uh, blogged about him. I did meet him a couple times, uh, so I know him. Uh, he's an interesting character, to say the least. And uh, you know, if anybody uh, probably could do a thousand days alone at sea, he might be kind of a, the type of guy who could. So anyway, check out his blog, and you maybe get a drift of what, I'm, what I mean. He's uh, quite, quite, a, quite interesting. Did you have uh, any other sea stories you want to talk about? No, that's it for sea stories. Um, what about Internet Protocol? You got one of those this week? Yeah, my site uh, is the unofficial Coast Guard wiki. And just like wick place for, to, to really archive ideas and thoughts and uh, 
they're they're putting together one. It's run by the same people who run the unofficial Coast Guard blog, which is just an excellent source of of, of the, the unofficial information uh, from the people in the know in the Coast Guard. Uh, but they started this wiki, and uh, a wiki is a very difficult thing to do. We've uh, we actually have one on our site that uh, we have a few people working on, and the, the development time has been uh, six to eight months, and we still haven't rolled it out because it really needs that user interaction. And they're trying to archive everything about the uh, Coast Guard. So, you know, you'll be able to look at a, a Coast Guard cutter and, and get some information on it, but also Coast Guard procedures and ranks. and. Um, but they really need uh, uh, any like any wiki. They really need uh, user participation. So I encourage you to head over there and uh, take a look at it. Cool, cool. I wasn't familiar with that, so I'm gonna check that out. Very good. What else you got? Uh, that, that, that's it for right now. Uh, you have a, a new magazine, I hear. Yeah, I just um, this a blog that I I, I I read quite a bit called Build Blog, and it's B L D B L O G. It's in my reader, and and I always find it extremely interesting. Um, it's a pretty popular blog, and um, they had a post uh, this week about a new magazine. Discovered a new magazine called Floater Magazine. And um, it's it's a very interesting website, uh, and in it, in the first, and it's tough to explain. Actually, it's pretty kind of artsy, esoteric. It's floater. They say here, floater is an architectural online production, so whatever that means. But um, they kind of deal with the concept of floating, uh, for lack of a better term. But the first issue here, the, the issue number one, um, they have. Uh, a profile of FLIP, which is the an ocean research platform that capsizes in order to maintain its stability. Um, I think uh, John, you've posted about the FLIP vessel before. Um, yeah, my uh, it's it's owned by uh, Scripps uh, Oceanographic Institute, and uh, my wife Cindy has her second mate's license. She uh, she worked aboard. She worked for Scripps uh, right out of college for a few years, and. Uh, uh, the flip station down in San Diego, and uh, I've been uh, aboard it and uh, a few times, and uh, it's a real, real interesting vessel. Yeah. So, so anyway, this this um, website floater, um, so it profiles that, and it's got all kinds of other interesting uh, floating and sinking and psychoanalysis is another mm -hmm. article, and oscillation of the sea, a device that translates the motion of the sea surface into kinetic energy. It's another article, um, redesigning the cruise of Libra Y and the parameters of instability and non-foundation demarcate a new territory of the architect. Uh, Louisa A. Adam explores architectural strategies and practices within contemporary cultural concerns. So anyway, a lot of it's like kind of this artsy, fartsy, esoteric stuff, but it, it's, it has this... Uh, Floating, well, it's Floater Magazine, and the and the website itself is worth a visit because it's it's got when you go onto it, it's got these images that you can click on and move wherever you want to move on the web page, and then when you do that, the article actually comes up, and it um, you can read it, and sometimes it's in a web page format, or sometimes it's a PDF format, um, and here on their editorial in the first issue is the term flotation is quite flexible in floater magazine without defining it uses its functionality to grasp certain spatial political legal artistic and architectural experiences so you know you get the idea it's uh it's kind of the wacky stuff that i like to cover on sea fever and um maybe not the 
of use to uh, the average uh, professional mariner, but um, check it out, Floater Magazine. Uh, that's why we, we love reading Sea Fever. Always, yeah. always something interesting. <laughs> there you go. Well, what else you got? You got anything else before we close this episode out? This is actually episode 30, a big 3-0, so... Yeah, we uh, we came up with a new site design uh, for episode 33. Uh, let us know what you think about it. Um, we also have some uh, banner ads that uh, I'm putting across the, the net, and if you uh, want to promote Messing About on Ships on your site, uh, please uh, email us and we'll send you our ads. Uh, our email address is uh, a podcast at messingaboutinships.com. Very good. Very good. That sounds good. I look forward to uh, to uh, seeing some of those floating around the floating around the internet. Maybe Floater Magazine. Um, you can always get us at messingaboutandships.com. Leave a comment there or email us at uh, podcast at messingaboutandships.com. Of course, visit John's greatgcaptain.com. Um, we'd love to have you visit over at seafever.org, and that's s-e-a-f-e-v-e-r.org. You can get us on Skype at M-A-I-S Podcast, M-A-I-S Podcast. And finally, we have a Skype in number. You can leave a voicemail there, and we can uh, we can insert it into the podcast if you have something to say. So 206-973-7000. It's 206-973-7000. Well, John, it's been good. Good to catch up. And um, I look forward to uh, hopefully next week we're able to uh, get together again. Yeah, absolutely, Peter. Looking forward to it. Be good. This week's song is Turkish Revelry by Loudon Wainwright III, and it's off of a compilation album called Rogue's Gallery, Pirate Ballads, Sea Songs, and Shanties, and that was put together by Gore Verbinski, who was the director of Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, and Johnny Depp during the filming of the movie. Um, it is actually uh, Wainwright remakes a song called The Sweet Trinity, which uh, the first uh, surviving version of it dates back to 1635. So uh, we hope you enjoy Turkish Revelry. There was a little ship And she sailed on the sea And the name of the ship was the Turkish Revelry Ah, she sailed down in that lonely, lonesome water Ah, she sailed on the lonesome sea up stepped a little sailor, saying, what'll you give to me To sink that ship to the bottom of the sea If I sink her in the lonely, lonesome water If I sink her in the lonesome sea I have a house, and I have some land And I have a daughter that shall be at your command if you sink her in that lonely, lonesome water If you sink her in the lonesome sea Bowed on his breast and away swam he And he swam till he came to the Turkish Reveille As she sailed out on that lonely, lonesome water As she sailed in the lonesome sea He had a little all, all made for to bore 
And he bored nine holes in the bottom of the floor And he sank her in that lonely, lonesome water Ah, he sunk her in the lonesome sea He bowed on his breast and away swam he And he swam till he came to the golden willow tree As she sailed in the lonely, lonesome water As she sailed in the lonesome sea Captain, oh captain, will you be good as your word Or either take me up on board For I've sunk her in that lonely, lonesome water I've sunk her in the lonely sea No, I won't be as good as my word Or neither will I take you up on board Though you've sunk her in that lonely, lonesome water Though you've sunk her in the lonesome sea If it were not for the love I bear your men I'd sink you the same just as I sank them I'd sink you in that lonely, lonesome water Yes, I'd sink you in the lonely sea He bowed on his breast And downward sunk he a bidding a farewell to the golden willow tree Oh, he sunk in that lonely, lonesome water Oh, he sunk in the lonely sea